0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Folks, you are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Blake. It is Tuesday, January 9th, and by being Tuesday, January 9th, that means that the college football season has come to its conclusion. No more college football, folks, until next year. Seems like it has gone by uh, in a hurry. It always does. But, wow, what a final game that we were all treated to yesterday in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. An instant classic between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Two years in a row that the college football championship game has come down to the final play uh, Alabama was on the short end of the stick last year against the Clemson Tigers. This year they are on, the, are on the right end of the stick. Do not take the lead until the touchdown in overtime that won the game for them. Uh, want to welcome to the show uh, our college football guru, Kip Kiefer and the Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler. Kip, let me start with you. You are over in Birmingham, Alabama. I think you just got off the radio here about an hour ago, and I know during the week you talk politics, but, man, I bet you guys had to be talking some football today on the radio with Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, bringing home yet another National title to Tuscaloosa, the state of Alabama. Kip, your thoughts on the national title game?
2: Well, I mean, there's a uh, there's not really a, a wave of ecstasy and excitement here as much to me as it's uh, relief. Um, they uh, Georgia gave them a real scare. Was 13 to nothing at the half, and uh, of course, the big storyline of the game is the insertion at the beginning of the second half of Tua tugga um into the lineup. And, you know, that was a pretty audacious move to go to a freshman that had not really played in any meaningful stretches of any games this year. He certainly mopped up a lot and played in blowouts. But um, that, was a, that was a brash move. And Nick Saban, uh, from all corners, is being hailed as... Uh, just making an amazing decision. And uh, so folks here are uh, certainly uh, happy that I thought they were a little overconfident going into the game. Uh, There was a news item on Sunday night here about uh, a local sporting goods store that suggested people line up at the beginning of the fourth quarter if they want to get their national championship merchandise, because they're not allowed to open the boxes that are in the back room until the game ends. So, to, to cut down on the weight, I, I, that, that news item I found rather interesting. Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit of cocky presumption that this was not going to be the uh, the game that that, that they uh, they had vanquished Clemson, and I think they looked at that as the bigger hurdle, and uh, it turned out to be a pretty significant hurdle to get it done last night, uh, especially when you consider that uh, Georgia sacks uh, Tugavlov. Uh, for a 16 yard loss to start uh, Alabama's yeah. possession overtime. It's second and 26 when the fateful play occurs from the 41 yard line. Uh, really inexcusable breakdown by the Georgia defense. You cannot get beat deep uh, in that situation, you just can't. And, and Alabama's field goal kicker is about as shaky as uh, uh, the gang that couldn't <laughs> shoot straight. So, uh, you know, you you, you contain them, you keep everything in front of you. Uh, Really a sad ending for the career of uh, senior safety Dominic Sanders, who inexplicably, who has deep help over the top on that play. The cornerback got outrun, but Dominic Sanders was really late getting over there, and next thing you know, Alabama is once again the national champion.
1: Well, it was a cover two defense, Kip, and and, uh, – Tago Viloa, I think we're all going to have to learn how to say that name over the next couple of years uh, I mean, was looking the safeties off. Absolutely look the safeties off you know uh and and you know by the time he looked over to his left and and released the football safety couldn't get over there i mean uh i tell you so many storylines coming into this game but very very much different storylines coming out of the game you know i'm an auburn fan everybody that listens to the podcast knows that so it was a rough week for me i'm not going to lie i'm not going to sugarcoat it <laughs> you know uh, i said so last week on the podcast i mean you can't ask for a a more torturous championship game <laughs> if you're an Auburn fan than the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, in full disclosure, I was cheering for Alabama only because I live in Georgia. If I lived in Birmingham or if I lived in Montgomery, I'm sure I would be, be cheering for Georgia. So it was it was not necessarily that, that I sat back and said, which one of these teams do I like the least or like the best. I don't like any of them. But I tell you, um, it doesn't matter – it doesn't matter who you were yesterday. You saw a good football game. You saw a chess match between um, arguably the best college football coach ever and Nick Saban and possibly uh, somebody who could be mentioned in that category uh, maybe 15 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, Kirby Smart. You know, we had a podcast two years ago uh, when Greg McGurdy uh, made the yep. uh, coaching change and fired Mark Richt. Uh, It was a very good podcast. We had some Georgia alumni on, uh, one of which was very supportive of the decision, one which didn't think it was handled right, still doesn't believe it was handled right, but certainly looks like from a football perspective it was the right move. Um, Kirby Smart, I tell you, Georgia fans, um, you were loud this week. Um, Most of you behaved very well. Some of you were over the top, obnoxious. Um, but uh, understandable given what uh, given what the situation was. Um, but I tell you, this game, Steve Butler, it'll just uh, boy, I, I, you get to this point in the season, you know, and you you saw the joy and the emotion coming out, you know, from not only the team but the fan base in Pasadena the way they came back in that game and defeated Oklahoma you know and uh you know was able to win that game in overtime and and boy if a week later you know the the tables aren't almost completely turned it was Georgia that dominated the first half of the game and that was taken to overtime and then lost a heartbreaker in overtime on the last play uh that's college football Steve I'm I know the the bulldog fans are disappointed today but they've had as as exciting of a season i think um as as they've maybe ever had in in my lifetime um, I was alive in nineteen eighty but i wasn 't old enough to really be paying attention to college football, but you know they go on the road and beat Notre Dame, and that was the game that we know now kind of propelled them to where they were going um They got beat very badly in Auburn in the regular season, but uh three weeks later, they avenged the loss in the s e c title game uh, they beat uh, the Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield, and the Oklahoma Sooners, in Pasadena, and they just didn't have enough to get over the edge uh, yesterday. But I got to give them credit; they came out with a lot of energy. And you know, when you got to travel cross country, and when you're, uh, you know, when you're emotionally as drained as they were, I was very impressed with Kirby Smart and the Georgia team yesterday. Steve Butler, your thoughts on the college football title game last night in Atlanta?
0: Well, first of all, the SEC is not dead. That was the, maybe the They're best not championship dead. game. They are of not all. dead. That is correct. <laughs> We've ever seen, I thought it was an extremely high level of play, with the exception of some of the drop passes from both teams, a lot of drop passes. Yeah. I'd say that was the, the biggest deficit we saw was that receiver. We saw some good play at running back. We saw some good play at quarterback at times. We saw some bad play at quarterback, but most of all, um, receivers it made a couple of big plays to make a difference in the game, but as far as being I mean, consistently throughout the game, they cost their team a lot of first downs and particular potential scoring chances. But, wow, I, I mean, what a finish. Fabulous play, but I've got to make a comment. This is where Georgia showed it was their first time being in the big game. One, Sanders is a veteran and one of the best safeties in the country. He normally all SEC. He normally does not make that bad of a decision because it was cover two, and I understand that uh, Tua looked him off, but there was nobody yeah. running a, a seam route or down the middle. So, being that he couldn't see another receiver coming into view, I mean, there was yeah. no one running down the middle, he should have just stayed shaded to that side of the field. And lastly, sure. <laughs> with that, that amount of distance, I think it should have been a cover three. And that a cover, too, and we probably are not having this conversation.
1: mhm, I think that I think that's exactly right, Steve. I think that's exactly right, and that'll be that'll be a play that the the you know the the bulldogs live with all off season. I had a discussion today with a friend of mine, Kip, who's a Georgia fan, and I said, "Look, you guys gotta be disappointed, um, and I don't have a crystal ball to know what the future holds, but that being said you know it would uh i think you'd be a fool to bet against this georgia team not having an opportunity to play in this game again sometime in the next 3 years um, you know, they got Jake Fromm at least for another two years, maybe three. Uh, they've got the number one, the consensus number one uh, high school football recruit in Justin Fields coming in. They've got the number one running back coming in again. I mean, they've got eight five-star recruits that are committed. If you're Georgia, you got to be pretty disappointed, but you got to feel pretty good about what the future holds, don't you, Kip?
2: Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, Kirby Smart, everybody over here. Uh, the irony was going to be if Kirby Smart did get it done last night, it would have been the second year in a row that Alabama would have uh, been defeated in the title game, but it would have been at the hands of yet another uh, prominent Alabama, uh, not, not a graduate this time, you know, Dabo Sweeney last year uh, with Clemson was a walk-on at Alabama, played on the 1992 National Championship team for Gene Stallings. There was a kind of a just a small consolation here. Well, at least our you know one of our boys uh, uh, you know wanted, and they would have been having having to uh, swallow the same bitter pill this time with Kirby Smart, who has built what is referred to over here as Alabama East already, and uh, recruiting wise, he has been getting the better of the old boss in the early signing day. Georgia was ranked as having the number one early signing class. Nick Saban was only in sixth. Position so yeah. shocking times, uh, and there were several major recruits that uh, that Georgia and Alabama were vying for, that uh, became uh, Georgia signees. Ironically, uh, we watched Jake Fromm have this amazing season. Uh, his last two choices year before last, or actually last year, uh, came down to Alabama and Georgia, and you see which way he went. So, uh, I I thought the other interesting thing in the game. Um uh, Georgia, uh, for the first time this year, I thought the offensive game plan was inspired. I think that's exactly the way that you need to approach a championship game. Sure, you kind of expected a knockdown, drag-out defensive battle, but Georgia didn't come out with that attitude offensively. They were aggressive. They put the ball in the air. They really had the Alabama defense, which after the Clemson game was hailed as being invincible completely on their heels. What a drive right before the half. Uh, I think 13 plays and down the field, they scored on an innovative play with uh, Nico Hardiman, who also had their only touchdown in the second half. It may have been in retrospect, guys, that uh, Georgia getting the lead maybe was the worst thing for them as it turned out because the second half, that was not the approach. They played a lot more conservative style. Uh, Nick Chubb as as fabulous a career as he had never got off last night at all. Sony Michel was by far the most explosive player on the field. He had 14 carries for 98 yards late in the third quarter. He touched the ball once in the fourth quarter, three possessions that went nowhere. Um, you know, a lot of Georgia fans I know are complaining about the officiating. It did seem that uh, every every uh, tough Call that was made kind of went against them. Uh, There was the sequence in back-to-back plays almost where early in the third quarter, Georgia blocked a punt. They called the Georgia player offside. The replay showed clearly that he was not offside. If anything, it should have been a false start in Alabama because there was movement, Uh, but that play didn't stand. And then two plays later, a really heinous face mask uh, in the Georgia backfield, where the the player not only grasped the Georgia running back's face mask, but turned his head, led to a three and out with a no call. So you know you can always look back on that kind of thing. But uh, you know Alabama doesn't win all these championships by uh, by by accident. Uh, they they are they are kind of a team. And you had said Georgia was kind of a team with a charmed life when the field goal was missed right at the end of the game. And once again, yeah. uh, poor Papa Docus He uh, he he had no clue. There was I mean, if you're Nick Saban, you couldn't have any confidence of him uh, making anything. Even one of the two that he made was ugly. It was like a line drive. The ball was like sideways in the air. Um, But when that when when that happened, I'm sure the first thought you had was, "This is just George's year," because you've been saying it all year that everything had magically fallen into place. But then we saw at that point, I was
1: convinced. Con, convinced yeah, sure. they had the horseshoe permanently, you know, and when, when he when he missed the chip shot field guy. missed it badly. It wasn't even close. Oh, it's oh, yeah.
2: awful. Let's, let's uh, one final thought on that. Uh, let's give Rodrigo Blankenship Hot Rod. Oh yeah, what a clutch kick he made after uh, No question, Rahm allowed himself to be set fifty one yards with all the pressure in the world on the kid. This was oh, a yeah. walk on. He didn't even get a scholarship to the Notre Dame game. He should be uh, just the absolute hero, and that heroic feat, I mean, you talk about a clutch kick. I, I, I was sitting here oh, thinking, yeah. there is no way he's making this, and I'll be darned, he knocked it right through there. So that's, that, that's another storyline that, uh, when that when something like that happens, uh, you go from hero to just forgotten. But, uh, uh, so just a fascinating game on so many levels.
1: It was. Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Byrne, you had mentioned, too, in your previous comments that the SEC is not dead, and you're exactly right, especially as bad as the conference did as a whole, not only this year, but in, in ball games. and, it, you know, this was the year that the Big Ten did as good as they have ever done in ball games. but, you know, when you have the two best teams playing for the national title, and I think that's what we had this year in Alabama and Georgia, and you have a game like we had yesterday, boy, it it certainly does send a signal to the rest of the country that this conference is not dead. And I tell you, Steve, I think one of the biggest winners last night was Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff committee, took a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism for putting Alabama in the number four spot instead of Ohio State, who won their conference. And he unequivocally said, we do not – we we look at everything. We look at conference champions. We look at head-to-head. We look at body of work. But our goal is to get the four best teams. And we talked about it when these teams came out. And I think I said, I, I think they have the four best teams. I think everybody on this podcast agreed. Um, but I think one of the things I also said is I could see any of these four teams winning this title. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the fact that you had you had Georgia win in overtime in the Rose Bowl, and then take Alabama to overtime in the national title game. I, I, I think it's a good day for Bill Hancock. I think the College Football Playoff Committee did well. What are your thoughts on that, Steve?
0: Well, uh, most definitely. I mean, um, at the end of the day, Alabama's track record really over the last decade you know that you're going to get one of the top four teams in the country when you put them in that position. And and I know Alabama's strength of schedule has not been what it has been in the past, but traditionally those teams on their schedule are, are maybe even ranked in the top ten, LSU, so on and so forth. So it, it was a little bit of a down year for them schedule-wise. I can understand that. But the Iowa game just absolutely sealed the deal for Ohio State. Alabama lost yeah. to an extremely good football team that at one point was at the top of the standings as well leading into this whole series. So it's not – Alabama's loss is not even comparable to that loss to Iowa for Ohio State, much less how they looked against Baker Mayfield, who Georgia beat. So long story short, um, I I think without question they made the right decision, and Alabama proved their value in this equation, and the SEC is still the king of college football. I mean, Clemson's made a a guest appearance, if you will, here in the last couple of years – But over the last decade, we're still looking at 7 of 10 or 8 of 10. So it it was a great showing for the SEC, and I think the entire committee got it right.
1: Indeed, Steve. One more question before I go uh, ask Kip a question about the quarterback situation. Steve, help me understand and help our listeners understand something that I just couldn't figure out yesterday. There was one thing as I was watching the game that was bothering me because I kept on asking myself the question, and I just couldn't come up with an answer. I couldn't come up with an answer that made any sense. And that question is, Steve, how did Auburn beat both of these teams?
0: (laughs) Oh, well, listen, I was high on Auburn, as you know, from the spring game. The reason is when Carryon Johnson's healthy, he's a Heisman Trophy yeah. candidate and possibly the best player in the country, yeah. and he was not healthy for those last couple of games. He should not That's even have right. been on the football field. When you've got two damaged shoulders like that, the extensive yeah. injuries, you, uh, it, it, give that man a, the, the toughest player in college football this year should have gotten that award for sure.
1: Hey man, man, I couldn't agree more. And what a I mean, when he's healthy, you feel like you could run through a brick wall and you can beat anybody. When he's not healthy, sure. not only does it disrupt your cadence on offense, but believe it or not, it, it affects the defense. So, uh I think that's probably right, Kip. I think uh, excuse me, well, Steve, I think his that's probably quarterback.
0: right. He makes his he makes his quarterback so yeah. much better, too, and he's a very good blocker. Oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. he's good at picking up the blitz oh, yes. when they do keep him. And that's the part that, that really gets underestimated yeah. about his play.
1: Very true. Looking forward to watching him play on the next level. Looking forward to watching him play on Sundays. Kip Kiefer, the football world, many in the football world, for the first time last night were introduced to Tua Tagovailoa. However, if you pay close attention to college football like we pay close attention, um... You knew the name, and and you know who he was. In fact, um, I I was uh, very surprised that Tua Tagovailoa committed last year, his true freshman, committed last year to Alabama, because he did so after the true freshman quarterback, Jalen Hurts, was well on his way to having a phenomenal year. Now Hertz didn't play well in the two um in the two uh college football playoff games last year. He played much better in the regular season, but this kid's a stud. I mean he was he wasn't the consensus number one quarterback coming out of high school. He was on some people's boards, but he was on everybody's top five. Um on everybody's top five and the parallels to what happened at Georgia with Jacob Eason two years earlier being the consensus number one, coming, uh, gets injured in the first game, gives Jake Fromm an opportunity to come in and prove himself, and he did, and he's not going to lose the starting position. But then yet again this year, a year after Tagovailoa commits to Alabama, even though Jalen Hurts... Uh, had solidified himself as the starting quarterback for the Crimson Tide. Justin Fields from right here in Metro Atlanta and from Kennesaw Harrison High School did the same thing. He is committed to Georgia, despite the fact that Jake Fromm was having a great year. Um, But what, uh, you know, I I did not realize, Kip, and maybe you could kind of help explain it a little bit to us, being over there in Birmingham. Um, I knew there was some concern about how Jalen Hurts – Throws the football into traffic, makes his reads. You know, hurts his. Uh, um, people don't realize this, but he can he can uh, he can squat. I think uh, the most of anybody on the team, which is saying something considering mm-hmm. all the offensive and defensive linemen that Alabama has. But the guy's a beast in the weight room. Um, throws a pretty ball. He's got a great arm. But uh, you know, uh, kind of getting the ball in traffic and making your reads. You know, he's a little gun-shy there. He's more likely to take the ball down and run. And, um, you know, uh, gutsy call by Sabin to have him come out. But uh, what's going to happen next year with this quarterback situation? i got to think there's a lot of people around Tuscaloosa that uh, were pretty happy with what they saw they should be. Um, it was clear they were not going to win the game with Jalen Hurts being quarterback. That being said, I think Jalen Hurts was the right quarterback for the Clemson game. So, what does Alabama do, and what does Nick Saban do moving forward at the quarterback position?
2: Yeah, I mean, you talk about ironies. Uh, the national championship game comes down to a duel between Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Jake Fromm, who were roommates last year in the uh, I forgot what the what the name of the quarterback camp is, but uh, they were they were roommates. Wow. And uh, Tua was saying today in an interview that uh, really his two best friends on the mainland, because he came from Hawaii, of course, uh, his two best yeah. friends on the mainland are Jake Fromm, who he communicates with almost every day, uh, wow. and, and his roommate, Najee Harris, who's another true freshman from Alabama, who came in in the fourth quarter and was absolutely phenomenal when the veteran backs, Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough, uh, and Jacobs uh, really weren't very effective. Najee Harris came in and gave them a huge spark too. So uh, y- who can make up those storylines as far as moving forward? Yeah, you know it's funny after the spring game last year here, there was a lot of people that were really impressed with this with this uh, Hawaiian recruit. He came in and enrolled early and and uh, really really got a lot of people here excited. And as Hertz has struggled at times during the year, there have actually been calls. Well, you know, uh, I, I've seen several games going in where, where, where it's been speculated that, you know, maybe uh, uh, Tua Taglo- Taglo- Tagvalova will get the opportunity to uh, get on the field. And uh, he, he never really played in any significant uh, minutes in games. But uh, you've got to think right now. Time. Yeah, he got a court- in at
1: garbage time.
2: Exactly. Saban was asked today, he had a press conference down in Tuscaloosa, about the quarterback situation moving forward, and Saban gave the right political answer. He said, "Well, yeah, that's not something we need to think about now. Uh, we've got two great quarterbacks. We're really blessed to have that uh, that that abundance of of, of good fortune, and uh, we will we will get back into spring and and uh, summer practice and." find out you know who's who uh, we feel like it can do the best job but uh, last night uh, by all reports it was a very simple process at halftime they called the quarterbacks together Uh, Saban walked over and said we're making a change in the second half we're going to go with Tua we need to throw the ball more effectively and he just walked away and that was that was it and uh, he said after the game that uh, Georgia was doing such a good job controlling their running game. He thought they had to throw the ball and felt like that uh, uh, the, the young freshman gave him the best chance to win the game. But how many coaches, guys, in the country in the national championship game remove a starter who's 25-2 and two in his career and go with a freshman who's not played any significant minutes whatsoever? Um, you know, Nick Saban, again, I, I think at the end of the day – um, with already five national championships in his pocket, four at Alabama. I think he uh, was in a position that he was going to do whatever he thought was necessary. And, uh, you know, I, I, I I'm going to admit at halftime, when they came, when, when the tag vol tag, Volova came out and, and uh, started the second <laughs> half, I, I had my mouth hanging wide open. I said, you've got to be kidding me. What a, what a panic move here. But Man, yeah. it, it worked out because the kid was electrifying.
1: And I tell you, Kip, there are few coaches in college football that can make a decision like that. Because um, yeah, if you make definitely. a decision like that and it doesn't work and you're Nick Saban, yeah. you can get in front of the cameras and say, guys, um, we had nothing to lose. We weren't moving the football. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw the first, same first half that I saw. So, you know, we tried doing something different and it didn't work. And everybody would say, you know what, he's exactly right. Very few of those head coaches can can uh, can do that and 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 get away with it. But not only did he get away with it, but you're right. This kid's twenty five and two. Um, and I tell you, take your hat off to Jalen Hurts. He was, uh, yes. um, you know, he didn't sit on the on the bench and pout. You know, he was uh, he was front and center up there. He was the big as big a cheerleader as he could be for Tua, and and I thought very genuinely so in his postgame remarks, interviews. I I thought Definitely. Jalen Hurts handled that very very well, and almost almost where it looked like it was a relief. Like, look, I I run better, um, you know, but you know, Tua. You know, Tua was. Uh, he, I think he said he was a gamer. He said he was a baller. And uh, you know what a uh, what a great position to be in to have two quarterbacks that can do that. Um, I think the Georgia Bulldogs might be in that position next year with uh, yep. with Justin Fields coming in. And if they don't redshirt Fields, I I think he'll probably get. Uh, you know, they'll find a way to get him involved in that offense. Steve Butler. Um, you know, one of the reasons Georgia was in the position that they were in this year is because. Both Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb made a decision um, last year that they would return for their senior seasons, and because they did, I mean, uh, you know what a I mean, you know w- what an incredible one-two punch in the backfield. Um, this season, though, I think for the first time since the two of them have been at school together, Sony Michelle has clearly separated him uh, himself from Nick Chubb. as I want to see the feature back as they both. Uh, looked like they get similar carries. Michelle catches the ball a little bit more out of the uh, out of the backfield, but boy, you look at the stats from this game, um, and you know Sony Michelle had 14 attempts for 98 yards. Nick Chubb 18 for 25. You you know. You hate to see the injury happen to him. He's had some. He certainly had some great games since the injury, but he's not the running back he was before he dislocated and broke his ankle. But uh, where do you see both of these backs going in the NFL draft, Steve? And and do you see both of these uh, both of these backs from Georgia, um, you know, having long careers at the next level?
0: Well, I tell you what; I, these guys are, are really the tail of the tailback back, and how brutal of a sport football is. Because, you know, I think Nick Chubb. What is he going to go down as the second leading rusher in the history of the SEC? And, and it's, yep. I'm of yeah. the opinion he may not get he may not get drafted. Um, he just yeah. does not have that kind of dynamic cutting ability, and, and you can be a one cut runner, but. He's even lost that step. Guys, he's not even remotely close to the same running back he was. And and that's just sad when you get that serious knee injury and he did an amazing job to come back. But when you talk about getting these guys staying, I think Nick Chubb even realized he had to try to show that he had recovered from that injury for for NFL scouts to maximize his, his worth, and he wasn't able to do that. Whereas Sony really shined, and I think they made a tactical error uh, to Kip's point and only giving him the ball once in the fourth quarter. That's unbelievable. He was gashing them, I think. What do you have, 98 yards and and on only 14 yeah. carries, which which puts you at around six yards a carry. So uh, how they didn't continue that, and more importantly, how they didn't get him involved in the the uh, screen game. And the more I think mm-hmm. about it, Chip, they had tight man coverage with cover, two. What in the world was Kirby thinking? Because he is calling the defense there. I don't care – what their coordinator wants to do. That is his call at that moment. Tight man with cover two, and I know they feel like they got protection with cover two, but after you beat that corner who was within five yards of the receiver, it's it's an easy throw. So how they weren't in cover three, I don't know. It's really even more befuddling the more I think about it.
1: Yeah, and I tell you, uh, Kip, uh, ESPN showed today – uh, Coach Saban's reaction when uh um when Tua took took that sack um at twelve oh nine uh as at what time and then and then they showed his reaction at twelve ten when the next play <laughs> happened. Um if are Nick Saban look uh Tua didn't play like he was a true freshman, except for on that play, and then on the on the uh on the interception where I think he tried to throw the ball away, he just didn't get it high enough, got picked. Defense gave it back to him pretty quickly. But uh um Nick not real happy about that, and you can understand why. It wasn't but five minutes earlier where Papa Nostos had just missed a 25 yard field goal about 10 oh, yards man. to the left. So, you know, like you said, Jake Fromm should not have taken the sack that he took, but um, Fromm took his on third down, and then, uh, you know, Hot Rod did come in. It made the field goal longer for him, but he hit it. Uh, Nick Saban had to be going, You've got to be kidding me. I can't even trust Papa Nostos if we get the ball to the five yard line, and you just took a 16 yard sack. So uh my how this game we talked about the 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 roller coaster of emotions for Georgia fans in between the Rose Bowl uh, or at, at the end of the Rose Bowl into the end of this game, but you know <laughs> the, the emotions that Nick Saban went through during that one minute. So uh, you know Tagovailova, Tagovailova in, in the uh, in the huddle, you know, was like, "Man, I got to make up for that." That was absolutely well, Chip, bad news. And sure enough, Chip, he did. Think
0: about this. Think about this for a second, though. You had a player that was passing out on a stretcher. One player that was mm-hmm. swinging at coaches and players. And you had the kicker missing that field goal within a span of 30 seconds. I've never seen chaos like that for a football team in my life. Totally. And they were able to pull out a victory. That's a testament to Nick Saban's stability and how he's got control because those things he could control in those 30 seconds, but he brought it back together very quickly.
1: No, Steve, you're right, and that's a great point. I forgot about all that happening within the same time frame. Kip, your thoughts on all that?
2: Uh, you know that? Yeah, it was just it was just uh like bizarre world on the Alabama sidelines. Uh, but there was always some kind of drama going on there, and uh, yeah, the the uh, young man on the punt uh, team had been flagged for throwing punches, and and uh, amazing, he didn't get tossed out of the game, but he came to the sidelines, and yeah. while teammates for trying to restrain him. Uh he he's like swinging at them. So that was that was bizarre. I uh I I I I think the uh the young man, the defensive back that just dropped and passed out, uh by all reports today is okay. Um don't know what uh, still I I've, I've not heard the uh the cause of his fainting spell, but uh hopefully he doesn't have any serious medical situation there that precipitated that, but Yes, Steve's right. That was a that was quite a bizarre set of circumstances, all at the same time, and 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 you know, this is as difficult as as it is to stomach that Georgia gave up that play. When you parlay that with the fact that the play before a, a 16-yard sack on first down and overtime to put a team that far behind the sticks with a field goal kicker who you have no confidence in whatsoever. I mean, at every indication—I I don't, you know—I know they do the, uh, the different things, the percentage of, that you have to, to win the game. Whatever Georgia was at that point uh, just surged, and there. I don't care if you're coaching a, a Pop Warner team of eight-year-olds. Uh, of course, you can't really throw the ball when you have eight-year-olds. Although I tried when I coached, because um, uh, I, you know, I, just, I didn't want to run a, a three yards of a cloud of dust offense. So we had a couple pass plays in there. But um, uh, you know the, the cardinal rule. Even if a, even if you're a middle school team, the cardinal rule there is you don't get you don't let a guy get behind you. You cannot get beat deep. And you know, think about if Alabama doesn't complete that pass. If Sanders gets over there and does his job and breaks it up as you know, as he was designed to do, it's third and twenty six. Uh, Obviously, I don't know if Alabama even takes another deep shot there. I think they try to get 15 or 20 yards and just, you know, drop to their knees and grab their rosary and hope that somehow the the kid uh, miraculously ties the game. But we were denied that kind of drama because Georgia uh, at absolutely the worst time, and this will haunt Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker till the end of time. Uh, the unthinkable happens there: a complete breakdown. The corner gets burned. Um, and the safety doesn't get over there, and the absolute cardinal sin in that situation uh, happens, and Alabama wins the national championship.
1: Yeah, I mean, just some tremendous storylines. I, I posted it on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to see it, but the last true freshman to lead his team to a college football championship was in 1985 before yesterday, and that was Jamel Holloway at Oklahoma. I led the Oklahoma
0: Sooners. Mm-hmm.
1: And the irony is, and I didn't know this until somebody brought it up, I was watching, uh, uh, it was in ESPN, it was actually, I was listening to satellite radio and, and this statistic came up and I was fascinated with it. But, it, yeah, it had been 85 since the true freshman had last led his team. Jamel Holloway became the starting quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners because the previous starting quarterback went down in game four with an injury. Do either one of you know who the starting quarterback was who Jamel Holloway took over for? Uh, I do. Uh,
2: we'll, we'll, let, we'll let Steve have first shot, but I, I, I actually had a conversation about this uh, a couple of days ago. We were talking about Jake Fromm. Uh, so anyway, yes. I'll, I'll defer that one to see if Steve's got it. But I, yeah, I, I do know the answer.
1: Steve, you got it? Well, I didn't me, get
0: it Until I heard it. Uh, oh, I, let me think about this for a second. Um,
2: Somebody you've definitely heard of. We'll give you that hint.
0: Somebody you heard Mm, of.
1: Somebody that went on to have a much better career than Jamel Holloway.
0: (laughs) Jamel Holloway. Let's see. I don't know. I I was going to say JC Watts, but JC's a little older. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was
1: none other than Troy Aikman, who went on to transfer to UCLA. And uh, yeah, yeah. so the irony of all that. Um, word came out today that Jacob Eason is likely transferring to Washington State. I think Jacob Eason would love to have his name be the answer to a trivia question 35 years from now on um, on on that statistic. And the irony of. Jacob Eason transferring to Washington, even though he has to sit out in near a year, you guys do know where Washington Huskies open the football season next year. The
2: Auburn Tigers at Mercedes-Benz. Uh, Auburn- in, the, in
1: Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium. So, Jacob well, Eason it- could be traveling with the Washington Huskies when they open the season next year against Auburn. It'll be the third straight football game that Auburn has played at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I certainly hope as an Auburn fan that the Mm. third game turns out to be a little bit better than the first two. But, guys, tremendous amount of storylines coming out of this. And I tell you, I love this 14 playoff. I uh, – Uh, I I think it has been long overdue, and and I think it's been good for college football. You know, most of the time when the BCS was around, uh, you do end up getting the two best teams. Um, But every now and then you don't. Um, But uh, this has been exciting. It's been fun. We've had some really really good games, and as I said kind of at the beginning of here we uh you know we've had uh um you know both both of the last two games over the last two years have gone down to the last play uh real quick guys kind of pivoting because we we uh, we spent 40 minutes talking about, I'm sure we could spend another hour and a half talking about the national title game, but there are some playoffs going on in the NFL. Wild Card Weekend is now in the rearview mirror. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons fly out to California on the West Coast, and Steve Butler, uh, it wasn't pretty at times, but... I gotta tell you, that defense looked really, really good. And um, even though we, you know, we had to kick a lot more field goals than we wanted, Atlanta really kinda dominated that game. It kinda looked like they had that game in hand the whole time. They win. I think they get a pretty good draw. They now get to go to Philadelphia to take on a team um, who probably would not have gotten a first-round bye had Nick Foles been the quarterback all year. Not that Nick Foles isn't a bad backup quarterback, but they got there with Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz is gone. So um, uh, the Divisional Championship weekend this weekend kicks off with the first of four games on Saturday at 4.30 Eastern time. It's our Atlanta Falcons traveling to Philadelphia. And by the way, Steve, the Falcons are a three-point favorite on wow. the road. Thoughts on what you think is going to happen up, uh, up in Philly this weekend?
0: Well, first of all, what a great performance because the Rams have had a very good offense and defense all season. They've got a great front seven and a couple of uh, premium uh, folks in the secondary, I thought it was an extremely efficient game plan overall, although we did see some weird play calling again. I think at one point he ran three straight toss sweeps, which I don't think I've ever seen since Paul Horning and the Green Bay Packers. But uh, (laughs) long story short, Joe Gibbs, that's not true. Kip should correct me. Joe Gibbs, every now and then would go some straight toss sweeps. But um, long story short, what a great performance overall. And Dan Quinn, I've really been hard on him, but he outcoached the young McVeigh out of Marist High School here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think he proved his worth as a coach that has been to three out of the last four Super Bowls. We played conservative offense and extremely good defense. That's won a lot of Super Bowls. I know it's not as sexy as what we saw last year, but nothing scares me in the Falcons' path towards the Super Bowl, including the Eagles next week. All The Eagles are a little bit better defensively, I think, than the Rams are. And they're going to be tough at home. Any game in Philadelphia is going to be difficult. Nick Foles is one of the better backups, but they've definitely lost something in not having Carson Wentz. Um, and if the Falcons come with that same kind of intensity and game plan, and I think probably – The biggest thing they have to be concerned about, though, is Fletcher Cox and that front four of of Philadelphia. They've really got a front eight. They can do what Auburn's been doing these last few years and rotating people in in Alabama. Um, So long story short, Uh, I'm worried about the offensive line because of the injuries. I think we've lost the V-trade for the season. Um, But if Alex Mack can stay healthy enough and he did make it through this last game, we do have a shot because he can slide over and help with those bigger uh, Eagles tackles.
1: Agreed. And I tell you, you, and you're exactly right about Dan Quinn out coaching Sean McVay. But I tell you, that Los Angeles Rams team – it reminds me they're kind of an NFL equivalent to what I think the program that Georgia has right now. They're, You know, they had a young – I mean, Jared Goff looked like a quarterback who was playing in his first playoff game. You know, I I really think the experience that Dan Quinn had uh, as a coach, the experience that Matt Ryan had as a quarterback, you know, Jared Goff, who is an incredible talent, a very good quarterback, you know, he he looked – he looked like a deer in headlights. And in many respects, Sean McVay did too. But I tell you, they will be back. It, it will, uh, I, I believe, with Sean McVay and and with the Jared Goff. And if Todd Gurley can stay healthy, um, they're going to be in the playoffs a lot over the next five, six, seven years. And, uh, you know, they now have kind of their maiden voyage behind them in their pocket. Kip Kiefer, before we talk about winners and losers, Uh, The second game Saturday, uh, Tennessee Titans going up to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. Even though there's uh, uh, quite a bit of buzz of dissension up there between uh, you know the starting quarterback Tom Brady and the owner Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, Um, it's still playoff time. Um, They're a 13 and a half point favorite against the Titans, and then you have the Jags going up the next day to Pittsburgh. Um, both again, those, that's a seven and a half point favorite. So the two AFC games, you know, you get the home teams favored by over a touchdown, and then uh, the final game of the weekend will be the 4:40 p.m. game in um, uh, in Minnesota between the Vikings and the Saints. Kip, any upsets you see coming out of those three games, or do you do you think the home teams will prevail in the remaining three games?
2: Yeah, I, I, think, I think the home teams prevail. I mean, the Jaguars' defense is the real deal, and they absolutely thrashed the Steelers early in the year in Pittsburgh. So if, if, if the Steelers needed any more incentive, that's a little extra. It was one of the worst games of Ben Roethlisberger's uh, recent career. As you guys remember, the sound bites after that game, he said, well, maybe it's time. maybe it's time I start thinking about hanging it up. I mean, he played that badly and took that much punishment. But uh, so I, I think there's a little extra incentive there. Uh, the Titans are just—they're just a good, uh, you know, grinding kind of football team. But I'm not very impressed. I, I don't think they have much of a chance. Uh, imagine being a Kansas City Chiefs fan. How depressing! Oh. They've lost six consecutive oh. <laughs> home playoff games. Uh, I mean, and and it's such a great fan base. I've been to some games at Arrowhead. It's just an unbelievable environment. To. People get there. Yeah. People get there seven and eight hours early and tailgate. It's just a – but what a letdown for that team to just fall flat on their face again uh, after having a 21-3 to three lead at the half. That was just – and it's not like the Titans are really built to be a big come from behind. I was just Thunder about hour. to
1: say it's not like they had a twenty-three 21 to 21-3 to lead against, I don't know, the uh, Patriots. I'm sorry, it's still yeah, too exactly. soon. It was the Tennessee Titans on the road.
2: Oh, unbelievable! So I, yeah, I think the AFC is going to be chalk, but I do think the Saints have a chance in Minnesota. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think the Saints played a great game against the Panthers, but were effective enough uh, with Breeze, the veteran quarterback, the, the double-headed monster of Kamara and Ingram, um, and and a lot of Saints receivers have really stepped up. Of course, we already knew Michael Thomas was a real good talent and uh, and 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 was the real deal here in his second year, but. Uh, Breeze, Breeze can—he's got a lot of targets and a lot of options. I—I I, I think the Saints have a chance, uh, you know. And—and it—it really is kind of sad to doubt Case Keenum at this point. But it's Drew Brees against Case Keenum. I—I uh, I definitely give the Saints a chance to pull that upset. Wouldn't that be ironic if the Falcons could survive in Philadelphia, and it would be a confrontation in New Orleans with the Saints again? Uh, that speaking of backyard brawls.
1: Well, it almost, they almost drew the Saints uh, last week, um, you know, yeah, but the way the last couple of games played out, they, you know, I think they certainly got the better of the two options and got to go to L.A. So, um, and it needs to be, yeah, no, it no needs to be question pointed about out, too, Chip.
2: It. it needs to be pointed yeah. out real quick, too. The Vikings really have a chance to become the first team ever to host a Super Bowl in their own stadium. Um, yes. If the Falcons yes. can accommodate uh, them and beat the Eagles – and Minnesota does prevail against the Saints. The Falcons would have to go to Minnesota, so the Vikings theoretically would be playing the the NFC championship game and the Super Bowl in their own stadium. So that's another fascinating kind of potential storyline.
1: It is a big-time storyline, big-time storyline. Folks, we're going to take a 30-second break. When we do... On the back end of the break, we are going to have winners and losers. And boy, we got a lot to choose from this week. So stick with us. We're going to take a 30 second break, and we'll be back with winners and losers. Welcome back. Our time has flown by as it always does. And we have reached the conclusion, or we're nearing the conclusion of our podcast. It's time for the winners and losers segment for the week. We are going to start with the savage burn, Mr. Steve Butler. Steve, give us your winners and losers for the week in sports.
0: Well, uh, I hope I'm not stealing anybody's thunder here, but my winner of the week is going to be Jalen Hurts. I think mm-hmm. he's really the the kind of secret weapon of where Alabama, um, because y- you talk about the chaos that was going on on that Alabama sideline, and all hell had broken loose. I mean, when you've got stretchers, E M C staff yeah. there, I mean E M S staff there, uh, it, it's really unbelievable. And a player that was had took a swing at no less than five six players and coaches, so it wasn't just a small little dust-up. And then on top of that, the entire leadership of your team is being transferred. That's the quarterback that had been 25-2, and and the way he handled it and and the fact that I thought it was really tasteless. Of, of, of them to interview him immediately at, because you know he didn't enjoy that moment and they just wanted their story. I think they should have left the kid alone, but I think he handled it with a thousand percent class. And my loser of the week is Andy Reid. It seems like since I've been in college and I'm an old man, I've been watching him blow easy playoff games. Uh, unbelievable. They're their play calling in the second half made Sark look like the the, the wizard master of genius. So my loser of the week to keep it brief is going to be Andy Reid.
1: That's good. Good winners and losers for the week. It's hard to argue with that. Kip Kiefer, your winners and losers for the week at sports.
2: Well, I've got a tie for my losers of the week, and one of them is a popular figure here on the Red Zone. Uh, we actually interviewed him, or you actually did. I was a, was not available that day. But throughout last night's game, Tim Brando, who I'm a big fan of, I, 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 Timmy B, I, I, I really admire his skills, but he was whining and complaining the entire game about what a terrible about Central thing Florida this is. Uh, no, well, about that, but that was earlier in the week, but he was talking about specifically the SEC game last night, and, <laughs> what, and, and one and one of the thing, and he was talking about what terrible ratings it's going to get. Uh, uh, sorry, Tim, uh, it, it is a 17 share, the yeah. second highest cable football game ever watched um so yeah that prediction didn't come true um and and he was he was saying that the committee did a bad job in seating because they had to have anticipated that this was a possibility for this boring matchup because at the time it was still kind of a six to nothing game i guess it, it didn't turn out to be too much of a boring matchup uh the committee is not charged with trying to uh, stage the uh, the ultimate matchups it's not a it's it's not a production um, and you had three suffocating defensive teams out of the four that were in that tournament uh, I think the Georgia the Georgia Oklahoma game was pretty entertaining and this one did turn out to be too so somebody I usually respect and of course yeah. the co-loser is Skip Bayless who's already today putting, well, the national champion didn't even deserve to be in the, in, in the playoffs, And that's just such, <laughs> it's so stupid when the premise is it's the four best teams, and this team beat Clemson and Georgia, who clearly were two of the three best teams. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't understand. Those guys, to me, uh, are losers. The winner, I, it, there's a lot of people you can go with, but I, I'm going to barely be a homer here. And, uh, tab, uh, my man in the desert, my son, Case Kiefer, associate sports editor of the Las Vegas Sun, one of those wise guys out there, did a great <laughs> breakdown yesterday, column on the game. His predicted final score Alabama 27, Georgia 24. Boy, he missed it by wow. a mile. It was 26 23.
1: Wow. Well done, Case. Well done. Um, and and for that, uh, tell everybody, Kip, where they can follow cases' uh, write-ups. On uh, is he do- also doing NFL playoffs, or is he yeah, only oh, doing absolutely. college football?
2: Yeah, he he he's had a great NFL year. Uh, he he was uh, three out of four last week uh, against the spread. Um, the the beauty of last night's college game, of course, was he picked Alabama to win, but Georgia to cover, and that's exactly what happened. So because um, Georgia did cover the spread. There's no extra point, so it was four or four-and-a-half, and they lost by three. But, yeah, you can access Case's material. It's K-C-A-S-E, Kiefer, K-E-E-F-E-R, uh, Las Vegas Sun. Uh, you just put that on your Google line, and all of his stuff pops right up.
1: I, I, I need to pay more attention to that as I go into the postseason. My winner this there you week go. going to switch gears a little bit. My winner this week is going to be Auburn basketball coach Bruce Pearl, it looks six weeks ago like he was on his way out, um, mm-hmm. looked like he was, uh, at least the reports were, that he was not cooperating with the internal investigation that the university had. Um, the uh, team has suspended our what we thought were our top two players, Austin Wiley and Daniel Purifoy, who are still suspended from the Auburn team. And yet, Auburn University has beaten Two straight-ranked teams for the first time in 21 years, uh, Tennessee at Tennessee last week and then Arkansas at home. They're playing Ole Miss right now. It's a 9 o'clock Eastern time uh, tip-off, so that game just uh, just begun. But this is the first time in 15 years, in 15 years, that the Auburn basketball program has cracked the AP top 25. Now, they might be out if they lose to Ole Miss this today, but, um, you know, certainly for a team that lost to Barry University in an exhibition game to start this year 15-1 and is incredibly impressive. I had an opportunity to be down at Auburn at Auburn Arena to watch them play Connecticut. Those kids play hard. They're not as big as other teams they play. They hustle. They get to the ball. They play hard. They shoot well. They play scrappy defense. Really excited to see the Auburn basketball program go well. So that's certainly a winner. My other winner for the week is Bill Hancock, the BCS executive director. Boy, as we talked about earlier, they took a lot of heat. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit uh, fell out of his chair when when he saw that the the committee had gone with Alabama instead of Ohio State. So he is a big winner. Uh, my loser for the week it's got to be Alabama kicker Andy Papanastos. Oh. I mean, missed a huge kick against Auburn, missed a huge kick, uh, uh, two big, you know, two kicks in the national title game. You know, it seems like Alabama is three and four deep at every position. It, for the life of me, I can't figure out why they can't get a kicker that they can depend on. So um, Andy Papanastos my loser of the week, had an opportunity to be a hero. And uh boy, I tell you what, he uh um he owes his uh quarterback and uh and wide receiver a lot for kind of bailing him out for missing that missing that short kick. So uh guys, thanks for being with us again. Thanks for everybody for listening. It's hard to believe the college football season is over we got mixed emotions with it, but we've got the Divisional Championship weekend for the NFL. Um, then we have the Conference Championship weekend. Then we have a week off. We have the Super Bowl. So, folks, we've got four more weeks before we kind of go into hibernation on the podcast. Steve Kipp, thanks for joining us. Everybody, thanks for listening. We will be back next week, same place, same time, Tuesday evening, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Red Zone Sports Report. We will be previewing the conference championships and um, and uh, we will be recapping the four games this week. So uh, we'll catch everybody next Tuesday on the Red Zone Sports.